Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. In the beginning, God made everything and it was good. Our fellowship with Him was very good. But our rebellion shattered every relationship. Our sin brought the curse of death. We can see that things are not the way they are supposed to be. Our world is broken. We long for our redemption. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into our world. He lived and died and rose again before returning to his Father's right hand. Soon, Jesus will return. Every eye will see him, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb slain for sinners who overcame, and he will make all things new. Even so, come. Lord Jesus. Let's go in our Bibles together. Revelation chapter 2. And this morning we will complete this chapter as the message, this letter is written to the church at Thyatira. Now last week we studied the Lord's message that was given to the church at Pergamum. Uh, We noticed in that church, they were commended for holding fast to the Lord's name, for not denying the faith in Christ Jesus, even though one of their own, Antipas, was martyred there even before the revelation was given to John. They were the ones living where Satan dwelt, Jesus said. And they were compromising impurity because they were mixing immorality and idolatry together with their Christianity. And in that letter, we saw the doctrine of Balaam, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Those were both erroneous and dangerous, and they were present in the church at Pergamum. Now we get to the letter at Thyatira, which is actually the longest of the seven letters to the seven churches. It's the letter that's written to the most insignificant city and church of all of them, the corrupt church. This letter, it closely follows the thought of the letter that we looked at last week to Pergamos or Pergamum, the compromise with sin, Satan, And the world that began in Pergamos now becomes full-scale in Thyatira. So if the church there in Pergamum was married to the world, then the church at Thyatira had been living with it for a long time. 
It had become entrenched in the world. So this letter that we study this morning shows the depths of sin that compromise brings full-scale immorality and idolatry. The church was small. They appeared to be insignificant. They had many great qualities, but they're singled out and the Lord Jesus gives a penetrating rebuke to this church. May the Lord give us ears to hear exactly what he says to the churches and to us. Verse 18, Revelation 2. And to the angel of the church at Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of all her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery or commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay any on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the son of God the living word of God. Again, same format follows. There's an introduction in this letter. It's the fourth letter. We see the introduction to the pastor, the people of Thyatira. There those people were in that city. But this city is a little different than the other cities that we've looked at already. Uh, on the screen will come a, a, a photo of the map. All right, this is the... Starting out at Patmos, this is the mail route. We looked at Ephesus, we looked at Smyrna, the second church, Pergamum last week. Now we are rounding the corner, and out between Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis is a long valley. We're in the country, all right? We're in the wide farmland, and you're going to see a photo in just a little bit that will help us understand this mail route and this area. This letter was written to the pastor of the church there, the one who brings this news. We don't have any information about this particular pastor except that he and the leadership were intimidated by someone that the Lord calls Jezebel. 
in the congregation. And that gives us an idea. It's not a real name, but it's a real character, and she's a wicked, evil woman, and she is having her way in the church at, at Thyatira. The church there in Thyatira, the called out ones, they're, they're separated. They have been called by the Lord. Now they belong to him. Modern day in Turkey, Akasar, and we'll see some pictures come on the screen of what remains of ancient times of the city square. It's about 40 miles southeast of Pergamos. Thyatira held a large military detachment because they had to protect a wide open territory. I think there will zoom in. There's about four pictures that just give us. This is in that same area, a little archway. I think there's a, a wash basin. And, uh, there's an archway. Some of the arches they've, they've put back up trying to reinstate it. But all of the center of what was, let that ring out as we chase after. Many, many people are chasing after the American dream. Loved ones from eternity, that's what it looks like. Health, wealth, happiness, prosperity, that's what it looks like from the other side of your last breath. Rubble. And people walk around and say, hmm, wonder what used to happen here. To conquer Pergamus, an army would have to defeat Thyatira first. Pergamus was the capital city of Asia Minor, and for 300 years it was a most endangered city. So there will be a photo, and I wanted to come up of the valley. All right, so now we're out in the country. This is out in the Thyatira Valley. How do you protect a valley? Okay, so think about our country, think about Chicago, and think about the plains. Okay, if you have a city, then you can put some boundaries around the city and say we can have some defenses and we can have some protection. How do you protect, how do you take that kind of territory? It's wide open. People are strong-minded. There's farmers out there. So the city would gladly have warfare waste lives. They would spend lives in the valley to wear out the valley and wear out the enemies approaching so that by the time if you made it through the valley and you conquered all of the farmers and all of the iron workers and the, the country folk, you were tired and exhausted and depleted by the time you got to the city and now you're dealing with the walls and the fortress and the garrisons of protecting the city, you're in trouble. And that's how they did it. Apollo was the chief deity. So the residents of Thyatira would have been familiar to hearing the, the phrase Caesar is Lord or the son of God. They would have referred to Caesar, son of God. He's, he's a son of God. It was it was integral to their commitment to, to worshiping Caesar, emperor worship. And as we saw, there's just a few remains. I tried on Google Earth to actually find that park, that city park. I spent time, I never did find it. I'm sure it's there, maybe you can find it, but I couldn't find it in the modern day there in Turkey in that city. Now out in this valley, this valley was known for industry. They had all kinds of crops. They had wool, they had dye. There's a plant, all right, that was used, its roots were used to dye in purple in that industry. There were guilds for wool workers, linen workers, manufacturers of outer garments, dyers, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, slave trade, bronze smiths were there. 
Membership for any of those trades would demand that you would be part of a guild or in our world today, you'd be part of a union. Now, if you're part of that guild, then you have, that guild would have a patron deity. So then if you're part of that guild, then you have to join into everything we do. Similar to our understanding, if you're part of a union, you better vote for the person that the union qualifies. And if you don't, don't talk about it. Okay, such a pressure. We'll join together and be united. And, and, and they're speaking for me, but I can't speak differently. Now, enter a Christian into the context. Very difficult, very difficult. So if the believers were part of that guild as a bronze worker, as a, you know, whatever their industry was, and then they came time for the feast, and they would have a lot of them, just like your company will have times of get-together, and this is how you entertain foreign people when they come, and this is what we have to do, and this is their expectations, and they go these certain places, and there's men traveling, and men always visit these certain places in certain locations where the clothing is limited or none. And that's just what you have to do to be a good host to people who are on business trips. Really. Not if you're a Christian. Not if you're a Christian. Not if you're a believer. Well, if the believer exits before it's over, then they're suspect. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you following all the way through to what would end up in sexual perversion and immorality? The strip club mixed together with worship. Why, why don't you have pictures of, in magazines around your locker? What's wrong with you? Who do you think you are? All of that pressure would have been crushing them in Thyatira. And this, this is where a believer named Lydia, a non-believer, the Lord opened her heart, Acts 16, verse 14, Paul says this, and Luke records it. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's how anybody comes to faith in Christ. It's not by getting wise or smart and saying, I chose the Lord. It's by him opening your blind eyes and your spiritually dead heart and you hear the gospel and what was once mundane or an afterthought or unnecessary becomes the reason that you'll live and die that's what god does now lydia was probably the instrument that god used through the ministry of the ephesian church to go back take the gospel to her home area and to plant a church there that ephesus you see they were they were planting churches they were, they were spreading out. They were doing everything that they should have been doing. And Jesus said, but you've lost your first love. Thyatira is out there. They're very different. The church by this time has probably been in, a, in existence about 40 years at the time of John's letter. And as we said, it's the most insignificant church. It's just a country church. Who are they? And the Lord gives the longest letter to them. Textually, the space given to this church is longer. It's almost twice what we studied last week to Pergamum. And that would be significant to the church at Pergamum. Hey, how come they get such a long letter? We're Pergamum. 
That's just Thyatira out there. They're loose change for us. They're country folk. They just cling to God and their Bibles out there. Pfft. Sound familiar? Who's this letter from? It's from Jesus. And he says he comes bringing, delivering the words of the Son of God. And this description of the Lord Jesus is absolutely stunning. That Jesus, the words of the Son of God, he gets right to the point. The deity and the authority of Christ. Now this description is not derived from John's vision, the words of the Son of God. There's no mention anywhere else in Revelation of being the Son of God. And people will say today, well, if Jesus was God, then why didn't he just go around telling everybody, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. He did. He said, I'm the Son of Man. And the Jewish people knew that is a reference to the one that we've been waiting on, who is the anointed one, who is God in flesh. And here he says, boldly, the words of the Son of God. Now, there's a Roman understanding to this, and the imperial cults, as I mentioned already, they would have used that terminology. Domitian imposed claims of worship. You will call me Son of God. The Romans would say, fine, whatever you want. You're the emperor. A Greek understanding. Apollo, who's that? The Sun God. He was viewed as a divine guardian of the city of Thyatira. So his worship was combined with the worship of the emperor. Not a problem. Pull it all together. It's like Hinduism. Add more gods, no problem, until you say you can only worship Jesus. All the other gods you have to turn your back on. There was a Jewish understanding to this. It's rooted and grounded in the Old Testament, unmistakably in Psalm 2. And Jesus repeatedly referenced this text in his earthly ministry, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, his Messiah, his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Do you ever wonder, if you just go back to that verse just for a moment, you ever wonder why there is so much attention paid globally to one little, one little blip on the globe? Right there. It's spiritual. There is a war, a long war that's been going against God and his kingdom. And he says it right there. This is my chosen city, my holy hill. Satan's been trying to take it for a while. Thought he won at the cross. Resurrection, reverse all of that. Verse seven. I will tell you of the decree the Lord said to me. You are my son, David giving us this. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's Revelation 2.27. We just read that. Verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all have you done this? Blessed are all who take refuge in him. 
And Jesus would use this text often in his ministry to ask the question, David's dead and gone. And he says, my Lord said to my Lord, who's he talking about? And the Jewish scholars of Jesus' day didn't want to answer because they knew they can go visit David's tomb. His bones are still in it. Who's he speaking of? Oh, his anointed one, Messiah. Right. My Lord said to my Lord. And Jesus would use that repeatedly. My son. I have begotten him, the son of God. So there's a Christian understanding then. When we read this, we say, yes, Psalm 2 makes perfect sense that Jesus is a descendant of David and he is the word made flesh. He is Christ. He is Messiah. He's the son of God and son of man. And we worship him alone. Jesus is the one who sees this description here. And this does come out of Revelation 1 with the eyes like a flame of fire. Speaking of his omniscience, that nothing is hidden. And purity in Christ, there's no contamination in him. He's the one who spoke the Son, the universe, and all that is into existence. And how did he do this? He did this by his word, loved ones. He's far more powerful than any puny sun god. I'm the God of the Son. Really? I serve the Son of God. He spoke the Son into existence. You lose. Right? Jesus then is the one who walks with feet that are like burnished bronze. And we see the omnipotence, this all power, and the judgment of Christ. The Thyatira, they knew all about bronze. That was pertinent to them. And they hear this and they know how, how strong bronze is. Such a strong, powerful metal. And Jesus is the one with these like glowing bronze feet and he's walking in the midst of his church and his eyes that burn like fire and feet. He sees all the sin in that church and in our church, in me. And he's saying, I'm gonna deal with it. All of it. He'd have no difficulty walking through a valley. Those enemy nations would spend their crew, their forces, by the hundreds and thousands. And Jesus says, I'll walk right through. On my way to Pergamum, nothing going to slow me down. The eyes that burn like fire, the feet that are like burnished bronze, he wouldn't even break stride. Not even slow down because he's the son of God. Now we get to the message. You can, you can feel the weight already in this text. And the message he begins with praise. And, and there in verse 19, I know your works. Okay, this is that knowledge by experience. He knew everything about them. He detailed the areas that he was able to commend them about. He says, I know your works. He says, I know your love. They still had what the Ephesian church lost. Agape love. It's the highest form of love. It's a love by choice. It's not love, and, and I so appreciate, James, how you brought us through that this morning and how we reflect or we don't. We either adorn the gospel or we obscure the gospel as believers wherever we go. That, that we either disfigure Christ or we prefigure Christ. 
We display his glory or we confuse his glory as people look into our lives and we lose our temper on the job or we lose our temper with our family or we lose our temper driving down the road and things come out of our mouth or whatever that sounds like everybody else. He says, I know your love. The Ephesians lack love, but the Thyatirans lack truth. They still had love, but they lacked truth. He said, I know your faith. They were motivated by love. They continued on in faithfulness. That their love was evidenced through serving others. And faith is demonstrated through endurance of hardship that would come from persecution. He says, oh, I know your faith. I know your service. This is the word we get deacon from. Diaconai. It's ministry. The whole church was known to be serving. I know your service. This is the kind of person that lives selflessly instead of self-centered or selfishly. What do others need? How can I serve others? How can I be a blessing to others? Or someone lives, what, what can you do for me? What will I do? What's going to be fun for me? What's in it for me? Selfish or selfless? This church was known for their service. What do others need from me? How can I help? To be humble and willing to serve others without any need of earthly recognition. That person, this church, Jesus is saying, you're dependable, you're loyal, you're loving. And he says, I know your patient endurance. They were known for their perseverance. They were known for their, known for their steadfastness. All right, these were the farm fed. These were the country strong. Farmers and tradesmen, they're like this. They're hardworking and they're in it for the long haul. Okay, first ministry we served in was Illinois. My grandfather was a farmer. You cannot be lazy and be a farmer. You'll starve. You have to plan you have to prepare. You have to work hard. And I will say this about my grandfather. He made a commitment. He said, I will honor the Lord on the Lord's day. And do you know the Lord blessed him? He said, I'm not working. And all the farmers around, like, it's Sunday and it's shining. He said, no, 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 it's the Lord's day. And the Lord will meet my needs. And the Lord did. The Lord provided and cared for him. Because it wasn't his day. Oh, I was talking to someone this week. Oh, yeah, Sunday is the only day that we, mm -hmm. so it's your day. And you, you name the name of Christ, but Sunday is the day that you got to get caught up and you got to work and you got to do the, it's a misunderstanding. Jesus says to this church, man, you're, you're strong, you're patient, you're enduring, you love the Lord. They, they could have said, Thyatira versus everybody. All right, we, we feel that in Michigan? Hardworking people in Michigan, they show back up in the shop and it's hot and the hours are long and it's hard to find good help. But you go back. Law enforcement, it's difficulty. You don't know what's out there, but you go back and you go into when other people are running out, Thyatira's running in. They're engaging. And Jesus says, lastly, he says, I know your increase. Your latter works exceed the first. You know anybody that they work harder now, 10 years into their job than when they first got hired? You know anyone that in marriage, 10, 20 years down the road, they're actually serving more and more thoughtful instead of just fading off into self-centered land, loneliness? 
Jesus says about this church, I know your works and you're picking up, you know, you're going into the end zone and your knees are lifted up. You're high-stepping. You're not holding back. You're not laying off. You're not coasting. I remember knocking on a door once and we were inviting people to something around the church and, she, and I knocked, the door was open and she walked to the elderly lady, came to the door. I said, hey, I don't remember which of my girls was with me. One of them was. I said, hey, we're just inviting people over to church on the corner of Forest and Friday. And she said, oh, no, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. And, and I said, well, that's all right. We'll invite you. You're welcome to come. And she says, oh, no, I'm all done with that. And she walked back, and she walked away, and it gave some interesting conversation for whichever daughter that was that was with me to say, isn't that interesting? All the times they've knocked on our door, we knock on their door. They have nothing to say. They'd turn and walk away. Isn't that interesting? You're all done. I'll retire. Do you, do you believe what you believe? Because if you believe what you believe, why would you withhold that from me? Because you weren't punched in right now? Think about this, believer. Do you believe what you believe? Then do we communicate that? This church, he says, you're doing more now than when you first started out. That can't be said of many churches. There's a lot of churches that are empty now that people sacrificed for and built and raised up and, and now it's dwindling in congregation and you write and you say, where's everybody at? Well, what's going on? And Jesus says, I know your increase. You're busy. You're, you're fruitful. You're productive. But there's a problem and he's about to come to it. And while you're busy and you're doing all this labor and work, there's cancer growing in you. It's spiritual cancer and it's growing in your body. And you haven't been paying attention to it. So Jesus gets to the problem. Here he addresses the problem, verses 20 and 21. He says, but I have this against you. Okay, I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. The Bible app is challenging me. Okay, high praise that Jesus has been giving, it quickly fades out into rebuke. There's a glaring problem in the church. They were being conquered from not an enemy marching in, from within by a woman of great power and influence in Thyatira. And she was, according to Jesus, she's a Jezebel. Who is Jezebel? Okay, don't ever name your daughter Jezebel or Cain, all right? The wife of King Ahab in the Old Testament, back in 1 Kings 16. Jezebel was a heathen woman married to King Ahab. She was a daughter of a priest of Baal who was the king of Sidon, Ethbel. Baal worship. She promoted it all throughout Israel. Baal required the firstborn child, child sacrifice. Ashtaroth was the goddess of fertility. So you mix these two together, and it's unmitigated sexuality. Sleep with whoever you want to sleep with, and death to the children. Hmm. Has a ring of modernness to it, doesn't it? Brutal destruction of the newborn because they hadn't figured out how to kill the baby in the womb yet. So give birth to that baby and give it in sacrifice to Baal. And then no restrictions to sexual expression, to immorality. She was, Jezebel, guilty of whoredom and witchcraft as well as murder Remember, Elijah comes back, and Naboth, 
He won't, he won't give me his vineyard. Jezebel, like, dry your eyes, you wimp. I'll get your vineyard for you. And she puts together a total sabotage to Naboth and accuses him and tries him, convicts him, kills him. And Elijah shows up when, when Ahab goes to view his new vineyard that he wanted. I got this vineyard. And Elijah says, the same place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick your blood. Judgment will come, and it did. Mighty, powerful king. He ends up dying in a battle, knowing the prophecy he's been given, and he switches the garments, and he goes as a common soldier, puts his garments, they find what they thought was him, the enemies do. This isn't him. And in, the Bible says that a, an archer somewhere, maybe the weakest guy of the foreign army, at a random, at a venture, he draws his bow and just lets it go, and it goes all the way between the joints of Ahab's armor, strikes him, and he, and he dies. And he run out of the battle, and he dies, and the prophecy is fulfilled. So when the Lord uses here to this letter at Thy, the Thyatira, he is not wasting words. The Lord carries out his word. He always does. He cannot lie. William Hendrickson, he says it this way. He says, Thyatira was indeed a lampstand, a light bearer, but this does not constitute an excuse for failure to exercise discipline with respect to members who make a compromise with the world. All that activity, all that busyness, all that doing wonderful things and serving and loving and all of that, but there's a cancer growing in the body in the church there. This woman, Jezebel, was a self-proclaimed prophetess. Okay, This woman claimed to speak on behalf of God. And this happens through, oh, I have a, had a word, I have a vision, I had a dream, you know, fresh word from the Lord. That's what she would say. She was smart, she was influential, people followed her. She had power, wealth, and perhaps beauty that enticed others to become like her and therefore be called her children or followers, disciples of this woman, unnamed but referenced with Jezebel. Women like her are prevalent today. Okay, they're obsessed with power. No man will rule over me. Because all the way back to Genesis, the small beginnings often end up with a wide influence and a wide audience. Contrast Jezebel with the woman we meet when Jesus is born and presented by Mary and Joseph in the temple, Luke 2.36. Listen to this prophetess, and her name was Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, the moment that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to present him at the temple, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This woman, she wasn't looking for something in the man that she had found in her first husband and in the Lord. And so she didn't live out the rest of her life saying, oh, if I only had him, if I only had that, if I only had where's this, she said, you know what? I love the Lord. The rest of my life, 
I'll be fasting and praying and serving. How, how can I serve? And the Lord notices her and Jesus is born and in comes Jesus. And we're referenced this woman of noble, just a noble woman, Anna. Oh, but women like this Jezebel refuse to, asmit, to submit to the authority of Scripture. So they twist it. They rebel against the clarity of God's word. They twist, they twist the creative order of God. So this is grounded in the Old Testament. Genesis 3.16, after, after we fell, man fell. To the woman, the Lord said this, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire, okay, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. There is feminism. Your desire. You're wanting his position. It's not wanting him sexually. It's I want the position given to you. There's feminism. Shall be contrary to your husband. But he shall rule over you. There's chauvinism. It's all in the fall. It's why marriage, every marriage has difficulty. Because a wife says, you're not going to rule over me. And a husband says, I will rule over you. Until the gospel changes them. And they say, actually, the Lord rules over us, and he's the only one able to have that authority and not ruin anyone. So how about we both submit to him, and we'll love and serve one another. It's all in the curse. That's why every marriage is hard. Every relationship is hard. 1 Timothy 2, 11 this is what Paul says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. And some would hear that, go back just if you will, some would hear that and they say, whoa, whoa, and they'll focus on quietly with all submissiveness. You don't, you're not hearing it in the context of the first century. When women, and, and even right now, if you pay attention, it's actually just crazy of groups that are protesting for these nations that are absolutely ruled by men in Islam covering women and women have no voice and they have no they have nothing okay into that go in and say let the women learn this is completely countercultural in the first century instead of we are the men the women are out in the kitchen fixing meals for us cuz we're men and the bible says actually get the women let the women learn you know, it's a death penalty in some countries for women to have books. Who gave the books? Who taught the girls to read? Believing that their brains are lesser. Well, they're not. Take my word on that. I live all kinds of women my whole life. So Paul says this. Here's the, here's, the, here's the instruction. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. It's grounded in the Old Testament, first book of the Bible. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. You want to see a woman's influence? Ask, just look back into Abraham Lincoln and what he said about a mother. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. This is where mom's influence. So what does our culture say? It diminishes it. It diminishes it drastically through social media, through all types of accounts saying, come on, he's going to put a ring on my finger and then suddenly I'm going to be doing all these horrible things. Like raising the next generation? I can understand why Satan would want to twist that and confuse that. 
So these women like Jezebel, and there are men that do it as well, lead countless others who are immature and weak astray through their arrogance and error. Loved ones, we need discernment. This is why we're cautious with those Bible studies that often start out and they're wonderful and this lady is a great teacher and then fast forward 10, 20 years and where is she? Not under the authority of a husband, not under the authority of a church and suddenly she's openly rambling about all kinds of theological confusion. It's a miss. We need discernment. This woman was a false teacher. She promoted immorality and idolatry. That's how you know she's a false teacher because the Lord does not promote that. She's going contrary to scripture. Her teaching promoted immorality and idolatry. You see, belief and behavior go hand in hand. She's actually preaching and teaching and has visions from the Lord saying it's all right. You be you. Do what you want. Now, the Ephesian church, they ran out the people that held to this teaching. But these, these folks in Thyatira, they figured a way to market it. Hey, we can, we can get bigger. We can grow. We can have a larger church if we just you know, can incorporate some of what the world does and we'll put it in our church. Don't reject it. Repackage it. This adopts the lie that God made people the way they are, and after all, who are we to judge? It's an old lie of the devil meant to keep sinners trapped in their sin and bound for destruction. But the gospel, that changes everything and it's desperately needed. Now, just this week, our governor, this is what she said. In roughly the last 18 months, we went from the overturn of Roe versus Wade to protecting abortion rights and expanding, this is such a confusion of terms, reproductive freedom. Today, we took another bold step forward to ensure Michigan laws reflect Michigan values. Those values have nothing to do with the creator. Values to protect reproductive freedom. I'm sorry, was there a law against reproducing? That's actually what the Lord told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, have babies. There's no law against that. So it's a confusion of, confusion of terms by a woman like this, not in the church, but from a governing body that is doing exactly the same thing. The safest place that should be on planet Earth is in the womb of a mother and it's not your own body. There's another person in there. There's no freedom then given to that person, to that individual. We live in an upside down time. This woman was sexually immoral, back to our text. She practiced what she preached. Can't, don't blame her for being a hypocrite. She did it. She preached it. She fulfilled all of her immoral desires and passions. That was at the heart of her doctrine. It sounded like this. I want to do what I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me different. 
she was her supreme standard. Many of women who are in positions of evangelists and televangelists and TV ministry, they, they share their platform with infidelity, divorce, opulence, and a lack of humility. And the Lord is the one with the eyes that burn like fire and feet that are burnished bronze. That is not of Christ. So then what is the plan? That's pretty heavy, isn't it? What's the plan? What should be done? Jesus then draws the lines of distinction. All right, this woman, this Jezebel, was given time to repent there in the church at Thyatira, but the Lord Jesus says she refused. Perhaps she, like so many people, say, you know what, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week I'll repent. Next week I'll get right with God. Next, whenever. Judgment would come for Jezebel and for her followers, and that's a promise from the Lord in verses 22 and 23. Swift judgment was coming. The Lord is saying, swift, I'm, I'm gonna deal with her. It's coming upon Jezebel. She's headed for a sickbed. I do cast, all right? It's futuristic, present, active, rather than just future. Her future would be a bed of sickness contrasted to her bed of adultery. The fornication that she now carried out on her bed, she is going to be in that very same bed and under divine judgment of sickness. She led others to that bed, and now she will be doomed to that bed. Her followers were about to be thrown into, Jesus says, great tribulation unless they repent of her works. You're following her? You need to repent of her works. There's still time for you. If you're hearing me this morning and you have yet to repent, there is still time for you to repent because you're alive. There was coming a certain knowledge of ex exactly who Jesus was, is, and forever will be. And he says it, verse 23, I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each according to your works. You will not stand in the judgment behind your spouse, behind your parent, you will stand there before the Lord and the only person that will survive that judgment is the person who's standing in Christ. We plead the blood. Not worthy, but Christ is worthy. Time was short. Divine judgment was about to fall because the leaders in the church, they didn't deal with her. They were weak. They were letting her do whatever she wanted to do. Judgment's coming. But then the Lord promises justice. There will be justice for those who prevail, for those who rejected Jezebel, for those who hold to the truth. Hold fast what you have till I come. So there was a group in the church and they were holding on to truth and purity and they were starting to be the, you know, the outnumbered ones, this small group, like this isn't right. This isn't right. She shouldn't be teaching that. She shouldn't have that position. We know this is wrong. We've been taught better than this. And they're holding, and Jesus says, keep holding on. I'm on my way. I'll be there. Don't lose sight. I'm on my way. He gives a command. Reject the false teachers. This whole teaching of the depths, okay? Profound mysteries, secrets. Amusing the people. Seeking to persuade the people by their deeper insights into religion than what their own ministers had. Harrison said it this way. He said, you know, bringing you, you come from the U.S. to Zambia, 
All we would have to do is go around and put flyers that there's a man coming from America, an evangelist, and he's going to, you know, cast out demons or he's going to do some miracle works. And this place would, there'd be more people here than we could fill, than we could fit. But to simply bring the word of God, now I'm busy. Except for those who truly hear what the spirit says to the churches. They get there. There's a command then, reject that. Clarity. The Lord called the false teachers' doctrines the depths of Satan. Why? Because they're putting it together in the name of God, in the name of Christ. They're mixing it together. They're putting poison into that drink, and people are drinking it because it's labeled Christian. It was in a Christian bookstore, if there's any of those left. They, they did a, a flyer, come to our area and learn about Revelation from someone who denies the gospel. So the Lord gives clarity here. It's a dangerous thing to despise the mystery of God, and it is as dangerous to receive the mysteries of Satan. Romans 1 says they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And then he gives comfort, and he says this. He says, you know what? I'm not going to put any other burden on you. Here's what I want you to do. Hold fast what you have till I come, and I'm coming. All right, hold the line. You heard of that in, in, in military? Hold the fort. Hold the line. Hold the flag, even though there were people dying. Hold the flag till sunlight. And that, you know, Francis Scott Key, that the Star Spangled Banner is still there. Why? Because it held through the night. That's what Jesus is saying. Hold what you have. I'm coming. They were used to this in all of military. We're getting run over by foreign nations. Hold fast what you have. I'm coming. The eyes that burn like fire and the bronze feet. No me any trouble I can't handle. I'll be there. I'm on my way. That's comfort. He's just pulling them in like, I got you. Then we get to the conclusion, and it's a promise. It's a promise from the Lord Jesus that is a stark contrast to the immediate and temporary gratification. That's what false teachers focus on. Health, wealth, and prosperity. How to have your best life when? Now. If you know Christ, this is as bad as it gets, loved ones. This is as close to hell as you will ever get. If you don't know Christ and you don't repent and come to know him before you die, this is as close to heaven as you get. This is the best life that you will have, and it's a breath, it's a moment, it's a fading flower, it's a cloud in the air, here and gone. For believers, we're looking for the one who is to come. We'll be with him forever. So there's a reward that the Lord promises to the faithful conquerors. They'll be honored by the Lord Jesus. Promise number one, he says, I'll give you authority. You little nobodies out there in the country, mocked by the people up in the big city, I will give you authority over the nations. You will reign with me. True power and dominion. Romans 16, 20, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan. And, the, and he says, where will he crush him? Under your feet. That's, that, that's the idea, authority, dominion. Not here and now. Coming. Christ will rule with righteous judgment and we will rule with him. He even says that in the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me. And I give you this command. Go make disciples. And this is the word for shepherding. The word rule is poimeno, all right? It's where you get the word pastor from, to rule, but it's shepherding. It's not 
a dictator. It's not standing up, you know, ah, only Jesus can have all authority and it not go bad for people around him and under him. Anybody else, we need a team. We need that shepherding team, but it's that word it means to shepherd or to pastor. It's not only execution of judgment, but administration of mercy and direction to sheep as well. It's a beautiful combination. I'll give authority, you'll rule over the nations. You will shepherd with me the nations. There's a second promise. He says, I'll give you the morning star. Revelation twenty-two sixteen. 16, I, Jesus, the bright and morning star. What, what is he promising here? You can have momentary immorality. You can have a one-night stand, or you can have Jesus. See, all sin, it's, it's, there, there's pleasure in it for a season. And when sin is finished, it's it, and then it brings all the consequences that come with it. But to follow Christ, to know Christ, oh, he says, you'll have me. Someday the morning star will be mine and the morning star is Jesus. And if you know him, he'll be yours. He's yours and he's mine. And there won't be any distractions in eternity. So I totally belong to Christ now, but I don't have the feel, full realization, the full understanding, the full comprehension of Jesus, the morning star. But one day I'll see him face to face and I'll know him as he knows me. And this life and any denial of self any suffering in this life is just gone. So then he closes this. Do you hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches? Can you hear? That, that's a question I have for each one of you this morning. Can you hear? Like, does, this, does this change you or is this nothing to you? Is this life-altering for you? Is this encouraging for you or is this... Where's the nearest wastebasket with these notes? It doesn't, I, I just don't agree with that. I don't like that. I want to do what I want to do. Okay. Follow the way of Jezebel. But I'm saying don't. Jesus is saying don't. He's saying repent. Come to me. And can't we be tempted, church, to compromise individually and corporately? If we allow, listen to me now, don't just fold up shop on the, on the application here. If we allow our inner private life compromise, the Lord sees that. He knows that. He's calling us to holiness. He's calling us that if we are going to rightly reflect his glory to the world, if we're going to be filled and walking in the spirit of God, then we cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh got to be a radical change he sees all he knows all and he came into those that were holding on in the middle of it all saying hey hold fast what you have till i come i'm coming fix your eyes on me fix your eyes on me oh may our works here we are 60 plus years as a church may our works increase May our love for the Lord increase. May our love for the nations increase. May our works increase. May our, what we do that he does through us increase. Our loving one another, our serving one another, our encouraging one another, our gathering to worship. May that all increase. Will the Lord increase us in the coming year to have a place that has room for more people? I trust so. I'm not interested in coasting. 
I'm not interested in just floating on by, and then here we go, we got it all figured out, and we'll just retire and, you know, go pick some flowers and golf. Absolutely not. And I need your prayers in this, and these relationships that we have together to say, let's, let's together run through the tape. Don't coast. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, may as many people as possible be added in their voice to worship the true and living Son of God. And his name is Jesus. Let's stand together. Oh Lord, we need again your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. In all of our lives, we are tempted to compromise in various ways. Oh Father, will you give us clarity that we will know you first and foremost and that we will please you in every aspect of our lives. Lord, help me in this. May I please you as a husband, as a father, as a shepherd here in this body. Lord, may we walk in holiness so that we can be used effectively bringing the message of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh to everyone. Thank you, Lord, for your blood shed for sinners, for without that, we have no hope. But with your blood, we stand cleansed and forgiven and adopted, redeemed as children of the living God. And we are waiting and our eyes will see you one day soon. So let us live in light of that day, that coming day. Let us live today in such a way that we'll be found so doing when you return or when our heart stops beating. It's our last breath. All for the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.